Good morning. I thought I would start today by giving you my outline. Three things. Candy, corn dogs, community. It's a good outline, don't you think? Uh, actually, we're going to be in Exodus. This is part three, which has now become a few more parts after the first service. I only got through one thing. And I think the Lord is wanting to direct us this morning in that, in communion. So we're going to be taking communion also. So would you stand? I'm going to read Exodus chapter 8. I'm just going to read the five verses, 20 to 24. Uh, we'll responsive read from Psalm 112, which will be tying in more to next week. But um, that's the way it happens. So here we go. Exodus 8 verse 20. I hope you have your Bibles or your Gidgets and can follow along because as much as, as many of our senses as we can use in taking in the word of God, so much the better. And the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 8:20, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go. Now he's been told that a few times. That they may serve me or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Yuck. <laughs> and in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be in there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be, and the Lord did so. In response to reading, I'll read the, uh, the first and odd verses. If you would together read the second even verses through Psalm 112. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. So, Lord, we bow our hearts before you in prayer and ask that you would take and open our ears and open our eyes, grant to us to hear what the Spirit is saying, to take it in, and, Lord, you even said that, those who hear the word and with a good heart keep it. So we know, Lord, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we are so thankful that we have that in abundance. You said your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our paths. You said your word discerns the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And so goes the, just the wonder of the word of God. Every time we read this, we hear it, we memorize it, we study it, you are speaking. And Lord, we don't want that to bypass us. 
So give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, I pray. Break what I've prepared fresh for us this service right now. And all of us who are partaking, may it continue to work in us to will and to do of what pleases you. As we talk about your will this morning, please bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. You can be seated. So an overall outline for these studies that we're finding out how long they're going to go are these three things that I think uh, have really, well, not think, they've really encouraged me, and I hope you also, if we take these to heart and take them as those things that we must believe, that the Lord our God is the solution, not the problem. So we got lots of problems. Our nation is plagued with problems. God is the solution. He's not the problem. Evil is overcome by the sovereign Lord God. Can God take care of these things? (laughs) You bet he can. God's going to take care of it. He has, he is sovereign. There's nothing that's going to escape his, he sees everything, every rogue molecule, he's aware of it. So God, the sovereign, evil is overcome by the sovereign Lord God. And finally, we are set free through the sacrificed Lamb of God. These are pictures that we're gaining as we go through Exodus and go through this whole book, which is so fantastic because it's guiding us in seeing historical pictures of what we can apply to our history, our personal history of how, as a believer, do I walk out the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus? Well, the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt, and they walked through the wilderness, not right into the promised land. They walked through the wilderness, and they had a lot of lessons that they learned in the wilderness. So we're going to have a whole segment on lessons in the wilderness. So the first thing we looked at with the plagues is no other gods. No other gods. So is God the supreme priority and passion of your heart from whom all things flow? Is he that? Is he competing with other things with your time, your talents, and treasures? See, idolatry is simply putting God in a place that he, is not, he does not belong, secondary to other things, or it's fashioning God in a way that we would like him to be. We need to understand something. We don't want a God who is like we, that's what the Egyptians did. We want our God to be the real deal. And he is, and he reveals himself, and we need to come, come in submission to him. So does God have the priority of your heart? Last week, no difference. There's no difference in many ways. We're more the same than we are different. We're creating God's image. And so we all need God. We all need water (laughs) is what we looked at because of the first plague. We all need water. And so we're no different that way to sustain us physically. But Jesus offers, the difference that Jesus brings is he offers us living water without We will not have that unless we ask him. God provides all the things we need without even asking, although we should be thanking him. But as far as living water, that must be asked for. And then God, this this is what we've got to take to heart, all of us. God is at work in the hardest and darkest places of people's hearts. He is at work in the hardest and deepest places of the history we are in in our nation's history. He is at work. And if he wasn't, we might as well go be done with it. He's at work. The difference is that we as believers get to believe that. And we get to see that. We see as the world cannot see. But when God is working, his fingerprint is seen. The magicians of, in Egypt, they said to Pharaoh, hey, we can't make life. We can't produce life out of the dust. So this is a finger of God. And God's fingerprints are all over the place, and we get to see them. 
We get to acknowledge them. You know, it's a sad thing. You know, we can say, hey, the Lord just did this for me. No, he didn't. And without a God, it's an empty world. It's an empty life. We get to see the fingerprint of God. And the most fantastic thing is he not only puts his fingerprints, but he lays his hand upon us and guides us in in the gentle ways that he does. We get to be a part of that. No difference, but huge differences. So this morning, I want to start. I thought I would go through all that, but I didn't. The Lord stopped us after the first one, for the first service. I want to talk about no compromise. Here's a little outline for today and our next ones. There's no compromise, and this is what I want to talk about this morning, in doing the will of God. And I hope I can, I can pass on to you what I have seen really only fairly recently as far as what is this thing about doing the will of God? And a lot of times that becomes a tension. Well, am I doing it or not doing it? I want to share with you some of my own thoughts on doing the will of God, the core root of the will of God. Secondly, there's no compromise with the world. And third, no compromise with worry and fear. So we'll, we'll get to that. But this morning, there is no compromise in doing the will of God. If you're a believer, I know that you agree with that. And yet, are we not fighting the battle to do just that? Even knowing the will of God, huh, our hearts Love to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, take my heart and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's our prayer. That we would be doing the will of God. So as we look at these next six plagues, we're starting with the fourth one. There are two more triplets now. So there's three and three. There's three, three triplets total. The first nine plagues are in triplets. No difference. Difference. And then greater severity to the point of destruction. The tenth one is the culmination of all of it. So in these next six plagues, God makes it very clear that he will make a difference between Pharaoh and the Egyptians and his people, the Hebrews, in their land, with his people, their people, and in their animals. So that's what we're going to see, this difference over the next six plagues. In Deuteronomy 8, we read it. In that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen. He said, I'll also set apart my people, and I'm going to set apart your cattle. So there's a difference now that God's making. God says so directly in the, in the fourth and fifth plague. I'm going to make a difference. Direct communication. Fourth and fifth. Sixth plague boils. Mo- Moses notes, it was, he just notes it, all the Egyptians got sick. Their health was t- taken away. Seventh plague, the hail. Interesting, but I think very important. With the hail, God gave the Egyptians a choice to gather their livestock and save them from death. Some did, who feared the Lord, and some didn't. We're talking about the Egyptians. The eighth plague, locusts. Again, there's just a simple note. All, it was on all the Egyptians. The ninth plague, darkness, for three days, a foreboding phenomenon enveloped the land of Egypt, a darkness that could be felt 
and in which no one could see anyone and no one was going anywhere. They were isolated in darkness. But the children of Israel had light in their dwelling. So in that darkness, it says, could be felt thick, there was light, the light of God's dwelling in his people. You can begin to sort of apply some of these things. So these plagues, it's not just there's choice, there's difference, there's light. And then you get to the 10th plague, which is the culmination and their redemption. You have a very clear distinction, but the difference is this. Are you going to apply the blood or not? And God's people now had to make a choice. Are they going to believe God and apply the blood and then stay in that place of safety in their home covered by the blood until the next day when the angel of death had already passed over and God now is redeeming his people. Can you apply those things? You see, the difference there is that God said, apply the blood. The blood of what? A lamb, the lamb, and your lamb. We'll get to these things. An incredible picture that God's given to us through his historical people, the Hebrews, for our benefit this morning. And so the fourth plague are these flies. That God is the beetle-headed human. The Lord said to Moses, rise early, stand before Pharaoh, say, the, let my people go. Pharaoh, I'll, you know, he, well, we'll look at this in a minute. There's increased severity, physical harm of persons, possessions, and properties in these next three. In that day, chapter 8, verse 22, I will set apart the land of Goshen. And so we talked about that. So there's a separate, there is a difference God's making. He's speaking very clearly and directly warning Pharaoh that you may know that I am the Lord. Now, that can be either a warning or a blessing. Depends how you respond. But he wants that you may know. And we'll get this in the, further, in a, in the seventh plague. This whole thing that's, that's then Paul's commentary in Romans 9 through 11, which is very difficult. We'll look at that. But here he's very warning Pharaoh. He's saying, basically, you're not in charge. He's basically saying, you're not in control. And he's saying to him, you will answer to me. God's saying that through Moses to Pharaoh. So this I will is a pattern in these plagues. And I want to just give it to you because I want to talk about doing the will of God. There's no compromise in doing the will of God. So here's how it goes. God, God, God. Three times. I will harden. I will smite, I will strike. Pharaoh says, I will let. I rather took it as, I will lie. I will, and God, Pharaoh said, well, I'll let them go. He didn't do that. So you might, add, you might just change the let to lie. I will lie. Then three times, God, 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 I will send, I will set apart, I'll make a difference. Pharaoh says, I will lie. Moses said, I will pray. That's what we get. I will lie. And so God had him praying for his enemies. Then again, twice, God, God, 
I will send, I will cause. Pharaoh says, I will lie. Moses said, I will pray. What's the cycle? That's what God's going to do. This is going to be a response. And Moses said, I'll pray. And he did that often at the request of Pharaoh himself, however insincere it was. And then we get six times to close it out, all God. I will bring, I will bring, I will go out, I will pass through, I will pass over, and I will bring you out. God wins. Fourteen times, God says, I will. Pharaoh's three times, I will lie. Moses said, I will pray. So no compromise in doing the will of God. You might call these three things the not. Not. Not my will, but your will be done. How many of you have prayed that often, if not actual in your minds? As a believer, it's natural, supernatural, that we want to do the will of God. We want to be pleasing to God. We want him to shine upon us and give us peace and grace. And the safest place to be, though it might be the most difficult place, is doing the will of God right in the center of what God has allowed and that we walk through. No compromise in doing the will of God. This is what I want to focus on before we go to communion. Jesus spoke repeatedly about doing the will of his Father. That was never, he was never living independently because he is the son of God, the second person in the Godhead. And you can't have love with just one person. There's a book called Delighting in the Trinity that I read a few months ago. I would suggest you get it and read it. Talking about the Trinity. And how, what he said in there that struck me, is what I just said. You can't have love with one person. So God is love, meaning it almost, it's already determined. It has to be at least two. So these other gods, these mono-gods, they're tyrants. And that's what you would expect. They're self-serving. All these other gods that people worship. And the Trinity, by the devil himself, is disparaged. How can that be? You know what? Here's the good answer. I have no idea. But I understand something about the will of God. Because the will of God was manifested in the love of God, demonstrated on the cross by the Son of God, that we might partake of it. I'm like Snoopy. Woo! I mean, think about it. Think about the will of God. It's the will of love. That's what it is. For you and for me to enter into this relationship of love that God has in the Trinity, that God is in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Listen. I just want to take in a little bit and go into communion. The unsearchable riches of his love. I would say it's a holy submission of perfect love in Christ. This holy submission of eternal 
love that we see displayed on the cross. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet really nice people, had it together, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for who? The ungodly. That's you and me. Would you have done that? Perhaps someone would die for a good man. Maybe Paul says, no, no, no. That may be, but probably not. But not, not with God. Ungodly, unrighteous, rebellious. You look in the wilderness wanderings, which we will. And through their wandering hearts, God still cared enough to keep them from perishing. And how they treated Moses and all the things that went on with the people of God. And that, you know, even Aaron says, well, I don't know. I put this gold in the fire and how popped the calf. I mean, just such. <laughs> you just look at it and go, how come God dealt, God put up with them for another second? Then you got to turn and say, well, hold on a second. I'm glad he did. And that's what he's done for us. See, this is the will of God. It's his love. His love demonstrated, his love seen, his love understood. And it's out of this world. It's eternal. It's eternal. So in John chapter, this holy visitation of perfect eternal love. That's what happened. God just didn't sit up there wondering what to do with his love. They, they, the love of the, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was working and planning. Say, man. And that's when creation started. That's when the problem started. Did God ever stop? Never stopped. From time immemorial, time, eternity past, this love of God was going to be demonstrated that we might Experience it. It's incredible. So as you read John, maybe you haven't seen this before, but Jesus continually said, him who sent me. His holy submission of perfect eternal love. And Jesus communicates that all the way through the gospel of John. We've seen God. He walked among us, John the Apostle. We handled him. We saw this eternal life which was with the Father and manifested to us his love. So in John chapter 4, verse 31, in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? <laughs> this happened all the time with the disciples. Jesus communicating eternal truths. And they're thinking McDonald's, <laughs> which is what might happen right when you leave here. <laughs> my, look at my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now hold on to that because as we walk through the gospel of John, he concludes his high heavenly priestly prayer with the exact same thing. In John 5.30, I can do nothing. I can of myself do nothing. This is Jesus. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. The will of God. This is Jesus living that out. 
John chapter 6, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. There is this holy resurrection of perfect, eternal love. Talks about that before the crucifixion. In John chapter 8, I don't think we have this in there. Jesus said, when, I, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. Now, we're, we're into the holy ground here like crazy. Father taught me. As a human, Jesus is taking in humanity full on and understanding what it means to suffer and what it means to live in a sinful world. And, how, and so he says, my father taught me. I speak these things, and he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. So they might look at Jesus and say, man, Look at the suffering. No, no, that's a part of the will of God for me. There's this holy submission. There's this holy crucifixion of perfect eternal love that Jesus demonstrated for you and for me to enter into. In John chapter 14, or chapter 8, Excuse me, 14, yeah. And now I have told you before. Now, he, this is chapter 14. Now, this, these 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 are Jesus. Well, 17 is in the garden, but are Jesus in the upper room with the disciples before he's going to the cross. Profound chapters. And he says, now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I, that you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you. For the rule of this world is coming. It has nothing in me, but that the world may know that the father, the lo- that, that I love the Father. So you say that the world may know that I love the Father. This isn't some like, I really don't want to do, no. He loved, that this is perfect eternal love. That the world may know that I love the Father, let's go. He's heading to the cross. He's saying to his disciples, we're going to go. Now the world may say, well, you can't possibly be loved. Look at what happened to him. In fact, one of the things that shakes my, to my bones, not in a good way, is when somebody begins referring to the crucifixion as child abuse, which is happening in the progressive Christian movement. And they start putting this thing in a place where it's, it's blasphemous to even consider that, that God is a child abuse. He abused his own son. He killed his own son. Perish the thought. You know nothing of the love of God by saying that. You see nothing of Jesus' words that I love the Father. The woman, I love the Father. Come on, let's go. He's going to the cross. He's saying, I'm not going to stop. It's not, it doesn't worry me in that sense. Yes, it's painful. And he said, not my will, but thy be done. So Jesus said, if there's any other way, but he was not going to sort of say, well, this is too much. I, no, no. Love doesn't do that. And love, the, the eternal love of God was willing to sacrifice his son to demonstrate this is what love is, not some fancy feeling thing that goes along with everything I want to do. No, it's this deep depth of sacrifice because that's what God is. That's who he is for you and for me. 
And we're going to go to communion in a moment. And I think we need to take these things in and realize, what is the will of God? I'll tell you what the will of God is. The will of God is to love you as he loves me, as he loves you. And so you start looking at the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. (laughs) Do you know there's not one thing that has to do with how you feel? Love suffers long and is pouty. I'm going to get you. Love suffers long and is kind. And on goes the definition of love. That is the eternal agape love of God. Jesus on his way to the cross said, that the world may know that I love the Father, we're going. I'm going. And the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. John chapter 17, profound chapter. The high priestly prayer. And as the disciples are there with his upper room and they walk in the garden, Jesus gets a pace apart and he begins to pray. He spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. What does that mean? We'll see it. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. There it is, sent. I have glorified you on the earth. Here it is. I have finished the work you've given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe me through their word, that they may be one just as we are one, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you, there it is again, sent me. The demonstration of love, unity, oneness. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me, and notice, and have loved them as much as you've loved me. You see, and I love that. This is Jesus' prayer. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me be with me where I am. You see, he's being invited into the, through the cross into this intimate, loving relationship with the Godhead. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Always been. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, here it is, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Amen. The will of God is this holy salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification, this great visitation that we received when Jesus Christ came for us. And died on a cross. I love what Colossians Ephraim said, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. I'll tell you, the perfection and the completeness of the will of God is his love. That we can stand in 
and stand on and stand assured of. And that we can have a sincerity in our hearts that's real and true in our devotion to God. Why? Because we know the love of God that's been demonstrated for us at the cross. Our sanctification set apart for him. Do you not long for it? Long for that more and more. I belong to Jesus. I am his and he is mine. No one can snatch him, me out of his hands. No matter how bad it gets, his love prevails. So as we think about plaguing a nation, we think about our place in this crazy world. Listen, we will not compromise the love of God toward us and through us. We're going to seek to live out this thing called redemption in such a way that God is pleased. One more as we enter into this. I want to just a little personal vulnerability here. On Friday, on Wednesday night, we're going through 1 John. And we're doing it in response. We want to do a little of the word, and then we're responding to the Lord in worship and prayer and stuff. Well, Greg was teaching, and he was in 1 John chapter 1, beginning of verse 5. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we're, we're lying, not practicing the truth. And I've heard this, and many of you have heard it also, but that word confess... It means to say the same thing. If we confess our sins, if we say the same thing about our sin that God's saying, if we agree with God, he cleanses us. And I was nailed, personally. I used to be known as garbage mouth. That wasn't a a good thing. (laughs) And that is what has happened over the course of my walk with the Lord. And, you know, my vocabulary stinks. <laughs> and the Lord just nailed me on it. Corrupt communication. Let not corrupt, any corrupt communication proceed about what is good for necessary edification. Now, these things come out usually when I'm in my car alone. And I can say this and this about everyone else that's driving. But God's saying, is my Holy Spirit in control of your life? And through repentance, acknowledging that, saying the same thing, that's when God comes in with his Holy Spirit and just sort of cleans it, washes it, cleanses it. That's the beauty of repentance. That's the beauty of confession. So we're talking this morning about the love of God and the will of God, and the will of love. Jesus died on a cross that we would remember continuously our need for confession and forgiveness. And in that, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In that, the love of God goes a little deeper. That's his will to love us in sanctification and holiness and freedom. 
So we're going to pass out the emblem. We're going to ask you to just hold those. We'll take them together. I might say this little parenthesis. If you haven't taken these cups before, the first one I took, I had juice all over myself. So there's a little cellophane thing on the top that opens up for the bread and then the second one for the cup, just so you know. But I'm hoping that we might take just a few minutes holding the emblems, worshiping. Let me, let me change that. That you and I personally will take a couple minutes, whatever it is this morning, and bring our hearts to God. In context and light of the cross, say, okay, Lord, here's the, here's the issue. Here's the sin. Because we're remembering his death, what he accomplished on the cross, until he comes. We need the continual cleansing through confession and faith in Jesus Christ, continually. And I don't want you to leave today without at least having acknowledged that before the Lord. Here's what's going on. Here's what's happened. Here's what I said. Here's what I did. Here's how I've been treating someone. Here's how I'm this. And the word of God penetrates the division of thoughts and tents of our hearts. The Lord has spoken. I'm trusting him for whatever's going on for you. I'm asking the Lord this morning, right now as we worship, to take us to the cross in, in just submission to the perfect eternal love of God. Place our lives back into his hands. Say, God, you are amazing, wonderful. So, and we'll take those together as we get to that.